0: No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. everyone and welcome to this episode of the teaching behavior together podcast today i have angela from spectacular inclusion with me to talk all about implementing different behavioral strategies at the middle school level so we're going to be talking all about how to make different behavioral interventions fun and engaging so we can maximize our student success across all different grade levels so let's just get right into it hi everyone we're here with angela angela you want to go
1: ahead and introduce yourself Hi, everybody. Um, My name's Angela, and um, I'm Spectacular Inclusion on Instagram, and I'm super excited to be here with Maria. I've always, like, I love, like, listening to everybody's podcast, so it's, like, super fun, like, being on one.
0: (laughs) That's so exciting. Is this your first podcast?
1: This is my second podcast, so I did one with another podcast last week, so I have some experience under my belt, but not too much. So still exciting. I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Okay, why don't you tell us a little bit about your teaching position right now?
1: Sure, so um, this this is only my second year teaching. So um, this year I teach self-contained middle school ED. Um, I know it depends on your state. I'm in Ohio, Um, ED is emotional disturbance. I know in some states it's EBD or a different acronym of some sorts, but middle school ED, I teach self contained, which means um, I teach a middle school. So I teach grades six, seven, and eight in a self contained resource room. So I teach all subjects plus social skills, which is a lot of planning, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, last year, I was a full time inclusion teacher. So I taught um, sick, I co taught all day. So I worked with a general ed teacher and I did six, seventh, and eighth ELA and seventh and eighth math. Hard in a sense too, but um, the the workload in the unit is definitely a lot more. But I'm really enjoying it because I can kind of plan things the way that I want. So it's been an adventure during COVID, but I'm excited to hopefully get back with the kids soon. We're currently virtual, so
0: gotcha. Well, you've had quite a bit of experience then with different <laughs> different areas of special education, and you also mentioned between you and I, like on Instagram, that you also have a little bit of ABA um, background as well. Do you want to talk about that really quickly?
1: Yeah. So um, when I was in college, I went to Kent State University. And um, what's really cool about Kent State is when I was, um, I only have my undergraduate degree, but when I was in school for that, um, they had us take two classes on ABA, which I thought is so valuable, especially in my position right now, because I can kind of revisit my notes and my textbooks and try to figure everything out because I work on FBAs all the time because I'm in a behavior position now. So um, we took one class just like on the techniques and strategies. And then the second class was all about like application. So we actually had a focus student and we wrote out the FBA and the BIP and interventions for it. And again, it's super valuable in my position right now. So
0: no, that sounds awesome. I think that it's something that I wish more programs did was provide some of that like behavioral instruction to special education teachers, because I think it's such a key component to our jobs.
1: Absolutely. And then like, I know when I was in co-teach inclusion, it wasn't really as, I don't want to say as relevant, but I definitely didn't use those skills as much because I was in more of an academic focus. But now that I'm in a behavioral position, like it's been so nice, like having that background. Cause like when I sit down with my school psych, I know what she's talking about. I actually have input that's valuable that I could bring to the table. So it's been wonderful. I absolutely, I hope, I wish all programs had something like that. in, yeah. in it.
0: Sounds awesome. So I'm really glad that you have that background too, especially in a behavioral position because sometimes when I'm working with teachers that have behavioral positions, they haven't had that experience or they haven't Mm -hmm. had any like ABA content. And I feel like I I wish I could just like front load so much of that information, but it's so complex that it's hard to do that.
1: Absolutely, I 100% agree.
0: So, okay, so what is one of the biggest obstacles that you find as a middle school
1: ED teacher? I think like middle school is a hard age group to begin with. They're very stubborn, they have those awkward years, which I love about it. But my kids, like I have a social skills class first thing in the morning, and like my kids, like they, it's very hard to get them roped in and engage into it. Um, and I think that's how it is with every subject, but especially a social skills, because you could hear it on um, my kids, they're like, Miss M, I don't need this. Miss I I don't need to be in here. Why do I need to know this? And I'm like, well, the fact that you're fighting me about it shows me that you need to know this, number one, and just some things like that. So I think it's just hard getting them engaged and like um, telling them, hey, you actually do need these skills. So I've found that you have to keep everything very relevant and very true to um, what they're going for. So I always try to focus my lessons on the future. Like when you have a job one day, you need to have these skills. And mm-hmm. once you go to college, if that you choose that route or you go to trade school, you need to have these skills. You can't talk to your boss the way you might be speaking to me right now, that kind of thing. So that's probably the hardest.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely at the middle school and like high school level we do have that ability and one of the reasons i really like that age group is because we do have that ability to draw those connections to the future Mm -hmm. right and really um make it relevant to them because we do hear a lot of comments like why do i need to know this i'm never going to use this in the future and, and stuff like that and that's with academics or any type of behavioral skill that we're trying to teach or target and we do have that ability to kind of draw that connection between okay so Um, Like middle school, I always give examples to middle school students. Like when you go to high school, this is how it is. And and now they don't believe you all the time. But, you know, you still have that ability to to make that connection. And then in high school, we have that ability to say, you know, when you get a job or when you go some post-secondary option, you know, whatever your path is going to be then these are the skills that you're gonna need, right? And one one other thing that I really like to do with older students is turn everything into a game. Like I think that we think that games are for like younger kids and, you know, we they, older kids don't want to play games. Older kids love games. If we They can love the
1: competition aspect of yes. anything.
0: Yes, they love the competition aspect of anything. I found that older kids really like um, like beating the clock. Anything that I can do where it's like beating the clock or something like that, or a race of any type, they find really fun and engaging. And just games where they get to interact with each other because that presents so many naturalistic opportunities for us, so it's not like, oh, we're doing some boring social skills activity, but we're actually like playing a game and then I can reinforce some of those social skills concepts or other behavioral concepts while we're playing that game.
1: I love that you mentioned that because in my classroom, we usually um, do like some kind of activity through Thursday, but we always have fun Friday and that's usually when we bring out the board games or we go outside and it's so fun like watching the kids interact and utilizing the skills that you've taught them it because you could make the connections that way with them. And then sometimes they'll say, we just play games on Fridays. And I'm like, well, guys, you don't realize that you're actually utilizing your turn taking, you're talking respectfully, you're listening to the other person on your team. They're actually utilizing those skills in the moment. So one of the things I always tell my staff in my room, like if we're on a, if it's Friday, we're playing a game and they are playing nice, let them play. Like that's what they need right now. And that's like how they're like implementing those skills and they're practicing them. So we, um, we play and whatnot as well. I think that's a great strategy to use.
0: Yeah. I I love playing games too because you, we also get to like join in with them. And then it also like builds that relationship, right? Like, you know, for older kids, it's not all about, you know, I think that developing relationships can come a little bit easier when you're working with the younger kids, right? Because they... They love coming with you. They think it's so fun. And, you know, especially if you do any type of pullout services, every, you know, if you go into a second grade classroom and you're pulling a student out for any type of services, every kid's hand goes up and it's like, when are you taking me? When do I get to come with you? When do I get this <laughs> special thing? You know, um, where older kids that it's not necessarily the case, right? Some students might be like that, but it's not necessarily the case as they get older. It's more about those peer connections that they're making than with the connections they're making with adults. So it can be a little bit harder or more challenging to develop that relationship. But I think by making um, strategy or activities fun and engaging and doing a lot of games and then playing right along with them, I think it also allows you to really build that relationship with them. So then when they are having a tougher time in your classroom, you have that established relationship.
1: I absolutely agree. Relationships are a hundred percent like the backbone of what I do in my room, because especially these older kids, you have to get a sense of trust in them because they have like their friends who they kind of go to first and you have to kind of teach them. Your friends don't have the answers for everything that you need. You need to be able to talk to adults about what you need. Sometimes it's really hard to get my group to understand that. So definitely, um, getting them to the point where they know that they can come to an adult, you have that relationship established with them is so helpful. And it does work like getting them to go out for their other services. Cause it does like you, like what you said, like my kids don't want to leave my room to go to their reading group or whatever. They want to stay with their friends in my room. But if you have that relationship and you pair it with a reinforcer, you can go so far with what they can do. So.
0: Yeah. I love that you said pair it with a reinforcer because I think, Sometimes, with our older students, um, another great strategy to use is pairing things with reinforcers, right? All day. Yep. So, so certain skills aren't naturally um, or certain activities are naturally reinforcing for all of our kids, right? So if we can pair that some sort of um, mediated reinforcer and then slowly fade that out to contact a more naturally occurring reinforcer over time. So we can open that window of, of engagement with the student because, you know, sometimes it might be, hey, if you engage with this lesson with me, then you can go on your phone and no, we don't want kids on their phone all day. And we give them you know five ten minutes to be on their phone as an extrinsic reinforcer to engaging with that skill then eventually over time as they build that skill that skill is going to start contacting a naturally occurring reinforcer because they've learned a skill they're able to engage more appropriately with their peers and adults and all of that stuff that we don't need that phone time we can start fading that out a little bit more and that process that opening of the window i think can be so key when we're using reinforcement especially in a unit Um, with kids who have behavioral
1: challenges. Absolutely. And reinforcers are huge. And in the middle school setting, I don't think it's talked about enough how difficult it could be to find reinforcers at work. Because when I did field work in college and elementary, stickers work and pencils work. In middle school, that doesn't cut it. Like it has to be like a bigger picture. So something that we like to use in my room is we do class store, and that's like the game changer in my room. And for certain behaviors, we give out dollars or we use that as a reinforcer. Like, oh, let's do this lesson for dollars. If you're participating, you could earn dollars as we go and then they could buy chips or pop or candy, um, whatever their parents specified they'd like to work for. Um, I've had kids work for Starbucks, Frappuccinos, whatever works. <laughs> um, you just have to find the one thing that works for them. It can be difficult, but it's so worth it when you kind of break through and find it.
0: Yeah. I always say that for middle school and high school students, the reinforces are friends, food, and free time. Like those are like 100%. Yep. Those are like the gold stars. If you can, you know, provide any food or snacks during class, any time where they can just like hang out with their friends and any free time where they're allowed to just do what they want. And I, you know, in the younger grades, we call that choice time, right? Like, oh, here's your choice time. And I think in older grades, we just have to reframe it as free time. Like we like when we've worked all day to come home and have free time and just do what we want. And I think it's it can be so valuable to some of our students and i know it can be hard to find that time throughout the day right like we have busy schedules we have a lot of content to get through we don't have a lot of time to provide free time but if you're providing it really intentionally it can make the other time that you're spending on academics and behavioral skills so much more valuable right if they know that they're getting free
1: time and they use their time more wisely Absolutely. And keeping that very consistent, so helpful. Like sometimes we have a visual schedule on my board and like we have free time or choice time, whatever you want to call it embedded into our schedule. So first ELA, then 10 minutes of choice time, but you have to have these contingencies first. You have to have your work done. You had to do this and then you could earn that. Um, that's always super helpful. And just having it to the point where it's consistent and they know it's coming because then they're more likely to work for you. Um, and that's definitely really important because there's so much you have to get through in a day, but you also have to meet them where they're at. And I preach that all day long to my staff. You have to meet these kids where they're at. So some days it definitely comes a little more natural, but Mm -hmm. some days you have to kind of modify on the fly and see what else will work.
0: Right. And, and Another thing I love about the middle school and high school grades is that they have such well-developed interest, right? You know, like in some of the elementary grades, you know, anything that's like popular in that five minutes is like what I'm interested in, what I want to work for, and then suddenly 10 minutes later, it's not what I'm interested in anymore. Right? But in middle school and high school, they have much more developed interests and it can be so much fun to be creative with different lessons and teach skills based on what they're interested in and utilizing all of that and helping them understand these concepts, utilizing things that are of high interest areas to them. I don't know if you found that or not, but that's something that I I really enjoy doing with the older kids as well.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think you can embed that in social skills and also academic. Like right before I went on break, we... Fortnite unit. I have air quotes up, which everyone can't see. But we did a unit on Fortnite, and what we did is an argumentative thing. So we wrote, we read this one article. And it was about like the pros and cons of playing Fortnite. Like I think some of the pros were like, oh, it's not violent, and there's um some teamwork aspects. But the negatives were kids are staying up all night and whatnot. And we did some reading comprehension, and we did like a little argumentative writing thing. And I'm like, well, which side are you on? And they were listing evidence from the article. It was amazing evidence from the article about like, what they found. Um, was a good thing, and what they didn't find good, and they actually wrote an essay about it, and it was so cool. I think the only reason I got them to write something like a full piece of writing without pulling my hair out was because it was based on those interests that they had, and that is so valuable, especially at this age.
0: Right? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 um, one activity that I love doing with students right now is is. Th- kids love learning these dances, right? Like these quick little dances. And I don't even know, they're like half an hour or half, half a minute or, or a minute long dances. But like for some executive functioning skills and I just did an episode um, on this a little bit earlier about executive functioning scope and sequences is teaching them time management skills by having them plan out how long it's going to take them to learn the dance. And they like, they don't even realize that they're practicing time management or practicing like assessing how long different things will take them to do because some of our students get so overwhelmed by the idea of an assignment and how long it's going to take them. And that adds like anxiety and overwhelm and it adds to work avoidance, Right. But teaching them this is how you can break something down to micro and mi- mi- macro and micro tasks, and then also that time management piece of estimating how long it's going to take you to do something, but doing that in a really like fun and engaging way where they're estimating how long it's going to take all of us to learn some sort of dance. They like love that type of stuff, and they don't even realize that they're learning a skill.
1: Oh my gosh. And that's so much teamwork aspect as well. Cause they could try to like, I know if it was me in that class, it would take me so long to learn whatever mm-hmm. they were learning. Cause I can't like identify what my right and left foot is. So like they would have to like teach people who are falling behind. Do you know what I mean? So that's an awesome skill to yeah. have too, being patient and helping someone who needs it and going slower for people who don't understand. There are so many skills you could embed in that example.
0: Right. Yeah. And the, all that peer mediated instruction, like peer mediated interventions are so valuable, especially at middle school and high school level, if you can do anything where you have peers teaching other peers, it can be so invaluable to the quality of the lesson that they're learning, right? So that peer-mediated intervention can be so key. If, if you don't already use peer-mediated interventions for everyone listening, definitely look it up. It's something that definitely at the middle school and high school level can be so valuable and unique to your classroom and and the strategies are so evidence based with it that your students will learn so much guaranteed.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I'll definitely have to look more into that.
0: I I looked a ton into it when I was doing my dissertation because I Part of my dissertation was a peer-mediated intervention and just how kids go about teaching other kids things it's it's amazing to watch and how patient they can be like you said how how they show so much empathy when they're teaching Mm. another student a skill especially if like um i've i did it with peers that were the same age but there's a lot of research out there about working like older students working with younger students and working on different skills and it's a it's definitely a higher level skill to be able to able to explain something to someone else right so with peer-mediated interventions we are having our kids explain something to somebody else or explain a concept to somebody else you can really see that they have a well-developed understanding of something right and and i also have done it where i've had kids like play the teacher with me like you know if you you know if you don't want to do this activity how about i be the student you be the teacher and it and it lets me gauge their their understanding of what they're teaching me and lets me know okay what do i need to review with this behavioral skill if i have a student teaching me how to appropriately request for the teacher's attention as opposed to just shouting out in the middle of class, that lets me know if they understand how to do it. it doesn't mean they're going to always do it perfectly, but it lets me know at least they have the understanding
1: of how to do it so then I can move on from there and build off of that skill. That's such a great way to assess kids. It's different because I think like when we think of like assessing skills, I think my mind, my, personally, my mind always goes to giving a test or task cards or something else. It's definitely more of like a concrete pencil, paper, digital kind of thing. But that's such an interesting way. And they can gain so much from that experience than just what I'm assessing them on. Really good confidence booster too for those kids.
0: That's such a great point too. Like kids love feeling like they've helped somebody Mm -hmm. and and feeling like they've they've contributed something like leadership roles are so important in classrooms. And especially if you have like a smaller class, giving kids different leadership roles can really build skills, but it also gives them such a confidence boost. And, um, you know, in middle school and high school grades, it can be challenging because our students have started to recognize that they might need more help than other students, or they might need more support than other students especially for students who are in a self-contained setting they probably recognize all my other friends do this and i do this Mm -hmm. and that difference and it can play on the confidence of our students and we never want our students not to feel self-confident and so anytime we can help build their self-confidence i think is an invaluable use of our time
1: Absolutely. And that's so important because especially at those middle school ages, I think that's where self-esteem and confidence really vary among kids because kids could be really mean when they're in school and they, there could be a variety of issues going on. So I love to embed those kinds of opportunities in our day. Uh, that's totally true. It's so important to foster those confidence and self-esteem aspects in the classroom
0: yeah well i think we've talked about a couple of really great strategies throughout this episode for you know making the activities that we do in middle school and high school rooms more engaging and just giving teachers different ideas of how we can teach skills to older students in a way that they'll find really engaging do you have anything else you want to add to that or anything else you want to tell like new teachers starting out if they're in a similar
1: position as you are I think I just want to reiterate how like the best way I found to teach social skills to my crowd is make it relevant. Um, They don't need something cutesy. They don't need something really like pretty on the board. They need something functional that relates to them in that moment, because if it doesn't relate to them in that moment or in a way they don't understand, they're not going to be receptive to it, unfortunately. So we do a lot of like modeling and we do a lot of like, you know, in the moment, like um scenarios like okay like maybe about cell phones maybe about like a peer conflict because those are the things that they're worrying about in that moment of time they're not worried about someone not playing with them on the playground they're not worried about someone not playing with them they're worried about like those social issues so I always try to connect things to that and I know we talked about that but I think that's the most important thing
0: yeah I love that you re-brought that up because just bringing back that relevant piece of it making it really relevant to you know, challenges that they're experiencing or anything like that. If you can like utilize naturalistic learning opportunities where if a students having, you know, difficulty with a peer or something along that line, use that as a learning opportunity because it's really relevant to them right then and there. And they'll gain so much from that as opposed to like, I like how you said like the cutesy stuff, like we can find and make really cute lessons that, you know, on a variety of different places we can find them pinterest and everything like that but that's not always what is going to be the most valuable and um, best use of our time if our students are more like focused on okay what do i need to know so like we can do something fun and engaging or something along those
1: lines Absolutely. And I've totally found, at least in my classroom, some of the best social skills lessons we've had were the ones I don't even have planned. Like I might have a lesson planned, but then we sit in a circle and someone brings up this conflict that happened maybe at home last night or something that happened this morning. And it could, we have really good discussions about it. And we have everyone like kind of brings a different piece to the table. So you never know what kids could bring up some really cool stuff and kind of giving them ownership of that learning is huge. And like letting them come up with their own ideas and what they want to learn. Sometimes, I go to my group and I'm like, what's that you've been struggling with? Whether it's at home or with your friends, what can I help you with? Cause I want to help you with functional things that you absolutely need. I think that's huge.
0: Yeah. I love that you brought that up. That is such a great point is you can ask, <laughs> ask the students, they'll tell you what they want to know, or they'll tell you what the, you know, if you have that really strongly established relationship with them, they'll tell you what they're struggling with. And then you can build a lesson off of that or use that naturalistic teaching opportunity to to build a skill in that moment. That's something that that they've been, they can take with them and you can continue to build in
1: the future. Absolutely. No, that's definitely like the big. Sure. Um, just making it very functional and making it very relevant to what they need. And they will like you said, they will tell you they're very honest, especially in the middle school age. They'll tell you what they're thinking back. So it's always interesting seeing what they come up with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This episode was amazing. I think so many teachers will find it invaluable when they're planning out lessons and utilizing some of these strategies from everything that we've discussed.
1: For sure. Thank you so much for having me. I always love um, talking about behavior and whatnot. I don't think ED is like, especially in the middle school, I just talked about enough. So and the opportunity I have to talk about it, I take. So
0: (laughs) absolutely. We'll have to have you back on for another one, another episode where we brainstorm more ideas and activities for middle school students.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, anytime. I would love that. Mm
0: All right, everyone, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for a guide on implementing behavioral interventions in your classroom, I have a completely free resource guide that is geared towards implementing behavioral interventions in your classroom. It is full of different intervention strategies that will give you a lot of different ideas for implementing these different interventions so that you can maximize success in your classroom. Also, don't forget to go follow Angela over on Instagram at Spectacular Inclusion so you can see she posts about being a middle school special education teacher. Also, if you want to continue on this conversation, feel free to send me a message over on Instagram at teaching behavior together. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of the day.